And then we're going to go to Romans chapter 13. Uh, In June of 1967, John Lennon wrote a song uh, called All You Need Is Love. Uh, And he wrote it at the request, actually, of the British government uh, because there was going to be a worldwide broadcast on the BBC uh, from different nations, all kind of talking about unity and peace and and that sort of thing. And so the the government went to Lennon and said, we need a a song uh, that speaks directly to the topic. And Lennon wrote the song, uh, All You Need Is Love. And if you're uh, my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, uh, you have probably heard that song. Even my kids are, are throwbacks in the fact that they uh, love Beatles music. They could probably sing that tune for you if they were here this morning. Uh, we've probably all hummed along or sung along to that song. Brian Epstein was the manager of the Beatles at the time, and he said this about the tune. The nice thing about it is that you cannot, it cannot be misinterpreted. It is a clear message saying that love is everything. Uh, and, I, and I agree with that. I think that's a, a wonderful statement. I, quite frankly, enjoy the song myself. But it was written in June of 67. By June of, or by September of 69, uh, two things had happened. Number one, Brian Epstein had died of an overdose of drugs. And number two, the Beatles had broken up. So do you need love plus some other things? Or did perhaps the Beatles or John Lennon somehow get it wrong? I'm not here to, to pick on the Beatles by any stretch of the imagination. I, they, they were some of the most creative geniuses uh, the music world has ever seen. Uh, But there seems to be a disconnect between the message, all you need is love, and uh, the action, which was the inability to get along with uh, three of the people you work with most closely. Now, lest we start throwing rocks as a church, I think that, that there are plenty of church communities, and we need to look in the mirror ourselves, that can talk about love, and can talk about terms of caring for others, but not necessarily live it. We may apply it intellectually, but we don't necessarily... Uh, allow it to get down into our heart and then into our hands and our feet and out into our lives. I think being a follower of Jesus, having faith in Christ does not mean you have an automatic love for others, that it just kind of blossoms and, and flows out of every pore of your body. In fact, spiritual immaturity, a lack of, of what we call a green tree, joyful obedience to the Lord Jesus can actually lead to a self-centeredness, to a self-indulgence. Uh, to jealousy and even open hostility within the church of Jesus Christ. So how does the Green Tree Spiritual Family, for our purposes this morning, how do we grow in our love for one another? Well, like every other Sunday, in order to find the answers, we don't look at man. Uh, we're not interested in, uh, in the latest philosophy, but rather we go back to the perfect word of God. And so hear the word of Jesus in a conversation in Mark chapter 12, and then we'll go over to Romans chapter 13, Mark 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them discussing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, that being Jesus, had answered them well, he asked Jesus the following question, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbors oneself is more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far 
from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Then in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Uh, Father, as we quiet our hearts, maybe for the the first time in a week, uh, we pray that you would speak directly to each of us gathered here this morning. Father, we come from hectic and busy schedules. We come from demanding responsibilities. We come from families, some that are very joyful and have experienced uh, uh, wonderful times together this week, and we come from other experiences that, that leave us broken and questioning. Father, I thank you that you know each one of us in this room. You know the one who has prepared this sermon. You know his heart. You know how flawed it is. You know how sinful his mind can be, his words can be. And so, Father, we don't come here to listen to man because it's of no use. It's of no eternal value. We think we're wise. We think we, we, we come up with pithy sayings and, and, and strategies uh, for how to cope when you say, come to me and I will give you life. I'll give it to you abundantly. So, Father, we come here needing your truth, whether we realize it or not. This might be the first time we've ever stepped into a, a building that on Sunday turns into a church. Maybe that we've, we've been in church all our lives, and yet we've never really heard deeply from you. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to each and every heart, that your truth would penetrate our souls. Father, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, the question before the house this morning is, is how do we as a spiritual family, how does Green Tree Community Church individually, you as an individual, wherever you go, wherever you end up this week in your family, uh, in your business, in your school, in your office, wherever I find myself this week, uh, and then collectively as a body of, of disciples, how do we grow in love for others? Because you see, Scripture says very clearly that, that the vertical love that we experience from God has to go someplace. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just sit in our hearts. It has to work its way out. So how do we allow the love of Christ to move into our hearts and minds that would actually end up impacting others with that same love? I want to give you five observations. We're going to spend all of our time in Romans this morning. I'm going to comment once or twice back to the passage in Mark, uh, but for our purposes, we'll be uh, uh, looking at just Romans 13 this morning. So let me give you uh, five observations about uh, this question, how do we grow in love for others? The first is we need to understand the limitless nature of love. 
Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I'm going to interrupt myself for just a second. Lydia, I left you some notes on the corner of the stage all the way up here, and I've ran out to uh, take care of someone. I'm so sorry I didn't tell you. Lydia is our interpreter into Spanish, and uh, she needs those She needs those notes. She's probably been uh, wondering how she was going to love me since I didn't give her the, the notes that, uh, that she needed. Those are the quotes that I'll get to in a minute. Um, the limitless nature of love. Don't owe anyone anything. Uh, Paul says that, that love is a debt that can never be repaid. Now, if you're here last week, or you remember reading earlier in chapter 13 of Romans, Paul talks about the debt of taxes. He talks about make sure that you pay your taxes. And so he kind of comes back to this idea of a debt, of something that's owed. He says, make sure you're on top of your finances. So the only thing that you owe anybody is the debt of love. In other words, there are no limits. There are no boundaries. When it comes to loving others, we never ask how long. We never consider how much. They're not part of the equation. There is no small print. There, there, there are no qualifications. We don't say, I'll love you when you do this for me. Or I'll love you if you act a certain way in our relationship with one another. Love ignores that kind of criteria. Not, not human love, but God's love. God didn't say to you, I'll love you when you get your act together. God didn't say, I'll send Jesus to die on the cross if you promise to do everything, in, everything right and correctly once you hear the gospel message. God said, I love you, and he put a period mark at the end of that statement, and Christ calls us to love in the same nature, in the same way with no boundaries, with no stipulations. I remember talking to a young man once about his relationship with his father as he was growing up, and he talked about, uh, he used the term, um, hugs for hits. Hugs for hits. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, I, I grew up playing baseball. I loved baseball. My dad was really big into baseball. And he, he taught me how to throw and how to catch and how to bat. And every time in a game I'd get a hit, dad would keep count at the end of the game. That's how many hugs I got. I said, what happened if you struck out? He said, I didn't get any hugs. Friends, that's not the love of God. That isn't even really love in the context of a father-son relationship. But for our point this morning... There is no limit, there is no selection process which we follow in order to choose whether or not we love someone else. <clears throat> Excuse me, somehow I got a cold in Hawaii. I don't know how you do that, but I seem to be able to uh, accomplish that. Listen to, uh, listen to, to um, Jim Edwards' comments on this passage. He writes, agape love is not an abstract concept. It is a will in search of an object. Four times Paul identifies the object as one another, our fellow man, and neighbor. The other person represents God's claim on our love. We normally think of our neighbor as a person who is like us. But in the parable of the Good Samaritan and the final judgment, the neighbor is very much unlike us. Others are our neighbors not because they are like us, not even because they are chosen by us, but because they are given to us by God with the need which we can meet. I think that's a profound statement. So often I think of in terms of people I'm going to love by how they, they act towards me. Instead of saying, God has given me my neighbors, they're all around me, and he has called me to express his limitless love to them. How are we doing at that? 
How are we doing at that as a church? You know, every once in a while I'll say, you know, look around. I said this morning, if you see somebody you don't know, make sure you make them feel welcome. Why? Because they're an object of God's love, which makes them an object of our love. And if a person walks out of Green Tree Community Church and says, you know, I, I, I felt no love there this morning, in some way we have failed to love God. We have failed to love them. When we are in our neighborhoods, when our offices, in our classrooms, all those things that we mentioned a few moments ago, do we understand that those are our neighbors, the stranger that we might run into at the grocery store or some other place that maybe just needs a helping hand? Those are neighbors. There's a limitless nature to the love of God. My second observation is that love redirects our lives. Look at verses 9 and 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. How does love redirect you and me? Well, the commandments reveal our self-insisting uh, obsessions. Think about the list that, that Paul just gave. Why does the commandment say, thou shalt not commit adultery? It's because we look at someone else and we want them as our own. We want to use them for our gratification. Why does the law say, thou shalt not murder? Because sometimes some people get in our way. And because we want what we want to a point where we can exercise violence, we kill another in order to get what we want. The same with theft. You have something I want and I'm going to take it from you. Coveting even takes it a step further. Coveting is not just saying, you have it, I want it. It's actually saying, you have it, you don't deserve it, but I do. We actually try to apply a warped sense of justice to our selfishness, to our obsession in getting what we want. I love myself far and above over my neighbor in order to get what I want. Lust in any form, whether it is a sexual lust, whether it is a lust for material possessions, is by definition consumption. It makes what I want and how I use what I get to my ends the most important thing in my life. It dehumanizes others and it dulls our spirit. And so Jesus came and he said, there is a different way. There is a, a way that actually brings life. Why do you think it was the greatest commandment to Jesus? Why do you think Jesus said, in answering that question, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is just like it's your neighbors, yourself? Because he knew that once you entered into a relationship with God, you would actually understand the purpose for your life. You would actually find fulfillment and meaning in that love relationship, and that love relationship would compel you with joy to love others, and it takes you from a consumer to a server. It takes you from, from wanting what you want and using it for your own pleasure to looking around at the needs in the world and saying, how can I meet these needs? God's placed me here. This is my time. This is my day. This is my community. And God has called me to serve and to love without boundaries. It puts us on a new priority. It puts us on a new pathway. It creates new priorities in our lives. It redirects who we are from the inside out. We need to understand the limitless nature of love. We need to see love's redirection in our lives, but we also need to see the vigilant attitude of love. This attitude that kind of never sleeps. Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. 
Paul is saying there is that the gospel wakes us up, not only to our own need for a Savior. There was a moment where if you're a disciple of Jesus here this morning, there was a moment somewhere, it might have been last week, last year, 30 years ago, where you went, oh my goodness, I get it. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was raised back to life so that I could be in relationship with him for all of eternity. God loved me and put a period at the end of that sentence. And he's given me his grace and his mercy. The gospel wakes us up to our need for a Savior. But when it's applied to our hearts and lives, it wakes us up to the needs all around us. Paul says this is not a time for sleep. This is not a time for darkness. This is a time for love to be expressed through our lives in order that people would see the love of God in Christ and turn and put their faith in him. The gospel wakes us up not only to the need for love, but to the eternal consequences of love both good and bad. We understand that if we reject the love of God, God will not force us. He will not not, uh, insert his will in a way that that makes us robots. He will not dehumanize us the way we dehumanize one another. He will not use us for his own purposes in a selfish manner. And the gospel wakes us up to the fact that if we reject the love of God, we are hopelessly lost for all of eternity. And so that's why I wrote at the bottom, there's no time for lollygagging. I love that word. That's just a great word. Have you ever seen the movie Bull Durham about the minor league baseball team? They're talking about lollygagging the ball around the infield, lollygagging the throw from the outfield. It's such a great word. It just comes right to the point. Brothers and sisters of Christ, this is no time for lollygagging. There's only so much time the clock is ticking on your life and on my life. How many more opportunities will Jesus give me to walk across the street and talk to a neighbor, to have a cup of coffee with a friend and share the gospel with him? Because love compels us, not duty, not obligation. Oh, the preacher told me I got to do it, so now I got to go do it. But rather, I've experienced the love of Christ, and I just can't wait to live that in my life and to share it with others. Think about this conversation Jesus has with this scribe. This is in the last few days of Jesus' life. This is two or three days before Jesus goes to the cross, and the scribe is part of the group of men that will demand his crucifixion. And yet Jesus approaches him with love, and he gives him one of the most wonderful encouragements of all the gospel. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're right there, brother. Now just understand that it comes through me. There was a vigilance on the part of Jesus. Is there a vigilance in your life and in my life that observes the world around us says, how can I go and love? My fourth observation is we need to see love's protection. Moving on in chapter 13. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk, walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, nor sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy. The armor of light to which Paul refers here is the love with which Christ has loved us. That is a protection for us. It redeems us. It also prepares us for battle. It also prepares us to go and, as Scripture says, fight the good fight, to fight on behalf of others, to give ourselves so that others can see the love of Christ. It also is an inward battle. It's not just an outward battle where we go and we seek to engage with people, some of whom may resent the fact that we are seeking to share the love of Christ with them, but it's also an inward battle. 
Because every person in this room knows, if you've been a Christian for more than 20 minutes, that the sin pattern of your life doesn't go away just because you know Jesus. There are times when we struggle with these types of words that are written on the screen, that that's where our hearts want to go back. We're drawn by the flesh. We're, We're drawn by those sinful desires. They don't die completely until the day we see Jesus. Until that time, there's still a struggle that goes on in our hearts between the Holy Spirit of God and our own sinful nature. And the the love of God protects us against self-indulgence that leads us to harming others. Because again, look at this list. And any activity in that list in which I am involved or you are involved brings harm to us, but it also brings harm to others. It's interesting that Paul doesn't stop with the sexual sin. But he, but he brings it home just because we, you know, we might sit there and go, well, that certainly isn't me because it's Sunday morning. We look good, and that's what we're supposed to say. Even most, at least the men in, our, in this room know that in our hearts that happened. That's a struggle all the time. But he even brings in quarreling and jealousy. He brings in anything that, that would be uh, an event in our lives, an activity in our lives that would cause harm in others. Go to James chapter 4. James says, What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not the sinful passions that wage war in your own soul? But yet when we we reflect on the love of God in Christ, when we come back to the cross, so to speak, when we reapply the gospel to our lives on a daily basis, what happens? We are again overwhelmed with the love of God in Christ. And that protects our hearts. It draws us away from from a self-centeredness, and it draws us to a life of serving and caring for others. Uh, You may have heard of Lewis Laws before. Lewis Laws was the the warden at Sing Sing Prison from 1920 uh, until about 1943. He was there for about 23 years, and maybe you've heard of his wife, Catherine Laws. Uh, Much has been written about Catherine. She was a person who would actually go into the the prison with her three children. She would go and she would visit inmates. If there was a basketball game going on, she'd go with her kids and sit in the bleachers. Uh, She met a a prisoner one day that was blind, and she asked him if he knew what Braille was. He didn't, so she taught him Braille. She knew that. She met a deaf and mute prisoner one time, and, and because she couldn't reach out to him, she went and she learned sign language. She went and took classes so that she could go and do sign language. She was truly a remarkable woman. She died in a car accident after they had been uh, at Sing Sing for, for about a decade. Um, and when she passed away, uh, all of the prisoners gathered at the gate. And the, and, the, and the warden who was there for the day, because Laws was obviously uh, dealing with the loss of his wife, uh, they had her laid out in his house, which is about a quarter of a mile from the prison. And the warden opened the gate and he said, man, I'm going to trust you to come back after you go and you pay your respects. Not a prisoner was missing at the end of the day. That's the impact that love can have on other people's lives. But I also want to read for you a quote out of a historical uh, interaction with Lewis Laws, who was the warden at Sing Sing, because he too was a follower of Christ. And he too was, was a man who was compelled by love, even in, a, even in a dark place like that. So the warden of Sing Sing, as the warden of Sing Sing facility for 21 years, Laws supervised the execution of 303 prisoners, all while condemning the practice of capital punishment as barbaric, inequitable, and futile. Now, let's not get sidetracked on the issue of capital punishment, okay? Don't wander off. Uh, this is not a political conversation. Stay, stay with me, okay? He was the favorite fearless fighting warden with a soft heart for his boys, as he called them. Laws was in charge of the prison 
through two turbulent decades, from the Jazz Age, the Great Depression, to World War II. I shall ask for the abolition of the penalty of death, he wrote in 1923, quoting Lafayette, until I have, infallibly, until I have the infallibility of human judgment demonstrated to me. Executions at the prison in Austin, New York, left laws physically ill. This is trove of papers at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice show. Once when a condemned man named Patrick Murphy pleaded for a strictly prohibited drink of spirits, law broke, laws broke the rules to deliver a medical dose of bourbon. I like that. I'm not quite sure what a medical dose of bourbon is, but that's worth looking into. Murphy accepted it gratefully and then offered it back to the stricken laws saying, Warden, it looks like you need this shot more than I do. A man who would, who would look into the deepest and most depraved men on the planet and see them as his boys, not in a degrading way, but in a loving way. The same way I see my two adult children, Nate and Jordan, my boys. Those are my boys. You know, they, they might, I might live to be old enough to see them when they're in their 50s or 60s. They'll still be my boys. This love of God protects us and it prepares us to go into the world and bring love Bring the love of Christ wherever we are found. One more observation about love, not just as protection, but love's lordship. Verse 14, the passage ends this way. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul uses the term Lord Jesus 13 times in Romans. And every time he does that, he wants to make a point. Yes, he is our Savior. Yes, he loves us unconditionally. Yes, he is merciful to us, but he is our Lord. We take our marching orders from him. That's why part of the creed of Green Tree Community Church is joyful obedience. Because when the word of God and the spirit of God indwell our hearts, our longing, our desire is to obey him. We don't always get it right. And our salvation is not based upon our obedience. We're going to mess it up. We're not going to love each other perfectly, but the desire of our heart with Christ as Lord is to love because he loved us first and he calls us, he commands us to share his love with others. And that's a command we receive joyfully. If you go back and you look at the gospels carefully, there's a lot of things that Jesus teaches on. There's no question about it. You can spend a lifetime studying the gospels. But if you look at the, 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 the areas to which Jesus calls us, I think you can boil it down to two things. Go and make disciples and let the world see that I'm real by the way you love one another. The lordship of love, that, that fundamental command in our lives is something we must take seriously. I do not have the right and I do not have the privilege as a son of God to pick and choose whom I will love. It, that right does not exist. Jesus gave up that right when he went to the cross. Had he looked at me and weighed in the balance how I stacked up, he probably would have said, I don't know that I'm going to love him. And yet I call myself a disciple of Jesus, and I make that decision every day. And I'm guessing you do too. And I'm not here to throw rocks. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm not suggesting for one moment that we should hang our head in shames. But can we see the redemptive nature of this passage in the lordship of Christ, in a hunger and a desire 
to love as Christ has loved us. John Lennon had the right message. There's not, nothing wrong with the song. The song is accurate. But I think maybe he missed the source. We know Christ. Many of us in this room do. And if you don't know him this morning, our heart's desire is that you would know what love is, what true love really is, by making him your Savior and your Lord. We've experienced his love firsthand. But now is the time. Today is the day. The night is far spent. Dawn is at hand. Now is the time for you and for me as disciples of Jesus to love and to share that love with others. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this passage. It is so overwhelming. And it is so specific. It, it doesn't leave uh, much room for doubt. As Epstein said about, about the song, All You Need Is Love, it really cannot be misinterpreted. Lord Jesus, you have loved us with a love that knows no bounds. You've loved us with a love that challenges us and, and, and transforms us to, uh, to take our eyes off of ourselves and to love with others. Lord Jesus, you loved us with a, with a vigilant love. You, you didn't stop loving when things got difficult. You went all the way to the cross and to the grave for us in order that your love might protect us and prepare us for the battle. So Lord Jesus, we pray that your lordship would mean something to us. Not out of duty, not out of obligation, not out of shame, but out of sheer awe of your love. May your spirit and your word guide us to love others in the same way. We pray in your name. Amen.